Hey y'all, welcome back to Keeping It Brief Podcast. As you know, I'm your host, Annika. Um, I took a couple weeks off after I got back from a trip, so that's why there's about a two, three week delay in episodes. But I wanted to go ahead and start out with something new. So I decided something that could be cool for the podcast would be to have like mini series type things where I brief cases under a specific topic. So my very first ever mini series is going to be military law and hopefully you guys enjoy it. I'm going to be having a couple of special guests come in and out of the podcast to discuss cases and hopefully you find it beneficial. So today we're going to be starting out with Foster v. Dravo Corp, um, which is 420 U.S. 92 of 1975. So the petitioner, Earl R. Foster, the respondent was Dravo Corp. Um, The case was argued on the 20th of January, 1975, and it was decided on the 18th of February, 1975. Uh, I don't have the logistics of how the case was decided, whether or not it was like a 5-4 decision, a 6-3 decision. I couldn't find that information, so if you find it, go ahead and leave it in the comments below. So, the facts of this case. Mr. Foster was working full-time with Dravo Corps in 1975 for 22 weeks out of the year. He had earned 20 hours of paid vacation time. He then worked the full year in 1966 and earned his second year of paid time off at which he accepted. In 1967, Foster worked for seven weeks and then promptly left for an 18th month long military service and returned to work the last 18 weeks of 1968. Foster did not receive any vacation benefits from either year, 1967 or 1968, because Dravel Corps requires its employees to work 25 weeks of the year to receive full benefits. So basically, what's going on here is that the paid vacation time um, Mr. Foster had gotten for 1975 Um, he was able to get the full retirement Um, and in 1966 he was able to get his full vacation retirement as well however in 1967 and 1968 because he didn't work 25 weeks of the year in 67 he worked for seven weeks and in 68 he worked for 18 weeks he wasn't going to receive the full vacation benefits. So, Mr. Foster brought this case up with the district court, and they held that Mr. Foster was not entitled to these vacation days because they did not accrue naturally, and so therefore they weren't covered by Section 9 of the Military Selective Service Act, which, in case you don't know, Um, The way that it worked was that when you leave for military service, a job is supposed to allow you to come back at the same level um, with seniority. But what 
is happening to Mr. Foster in this case is that Dravel Corpse is not giving him the vacation that he wasn't there for. So, the Third Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with the District Court, but mentioned the limit of pro rata on the vacation provision, which might grant the petitioner some vacation time, but not all of the vacation time from the two years. And the Military Selective Service Act sought to eliminate returning veterans from being penalized in civilian jobs because of their military service. Section 9, just to go back over what it's talking about, is that a serviceman returning from service to a civilian job had the right to be restored to their prior seniority level, status, and pay that they would have received had they not left for service. As you can tell, nowhere in there did I say they're entitled to their full vacation time. So that's just something to note. The question that was before the court was whether or not a veteran is also entitled to vacation benefits under Section 9, and if the veteran has failed to meet the time requirements for vacation benefits due to military service, are they entitled to that time? So, some key terms. I brought up pro rata which is the assigning of a number to a fraction of time, which meant that Mr. Foster could receive a portion of the vacation hours based on the time that he was actually working in the years of 1967 and 1968. So in this case, he would receive vacation time for only seven weeks of 1967 and 18 weeks of 1968, but not the full 20 hours for working 25. So, some other cases to note, um, we have Accardi v. Pennsylvania, which the court, uh, the court applied the principles to the act um, that it's not directly specified from the first time of the case, uh, and this dispute was over severance pay. So, it was talking about how... Um, this employee, who was also a military service member, was severed from the company um, due to his military service. And although severance pay isn't directly stated inside of Section 9, it is still included. And then for Egger v. Mama Copper, which was docket 389, U.S. 323 of 1967, the court had applied the Section 9 of the Act to a case involving vacation or holiday pay in a collective bargaining agreement. So the petitioner in the case had satisfied all the requirements for vacation pay, but he hadn't met the one-year anniversary provision to receive the benefits. So the case did fall within the provisions of the statute. If the service member had remained employed there, he would have received benefits which in that case is basically saying that there are limitations to Section 9, even though it says that you should return with your seniority, same level pay that you left with, everything. Um, there are ways to get around actually using Section 9. And so that leads me to my second key term, a collective bargaining agreement. So a collective bargaining agreement 
is a contract reached as a result of negotiations between representatives of employees, basically unions, and their employers. These typically discuss pay rates, time off, paid leave, workers' compensation, etc. Basically, if you've ever had a job, when you're filling out the paperwork, always read the fine print. There's always, 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 always something in there. So, why would I bring that up? Glad that you guys asked. The holding of this case. The court held that the agreement with the Court of Appeals that the vacation benefits were not indirectly or directly linked to the Military Selective Service Act due to the nature of the bargaining agreement put into place by Travel Court. Why am I bringing this up? The agreement that Travel Corp had Mr. Foster sign when he took the job explicitly stated that the agreement was that the recipient of work on the 25th week would be used to determine benefits and was not accruing vacation benefits naturally. Meaning that because Mr. Foster wasn't working those weeks, he left on week seven. The contract explicitly states that you have to work 25 weeks and that it's not accruing, which means for those additional weeks that he was at military service and not working there, it's not adding those weeks to the contract because it has to have 25 weeks worth of pay stubs for that year as specified in their agreement. So, the court then bumped the case back to the district court to determine if the pro rata provision of the agreement could grant Mr. Foster at least some vacation time. They're not always going to do that, but the reason why they did that is because Mr. Foster was a returning veteran. And so in order to get him at least some vacation hours, this case stayed in the cycle. It got bumped back down to the lower level courts, at which case pro rata, pro rata, pro rata was added <laughs> to the agreement. So, just to re-summarize this case before I bring in my guest. The whole point of Foster v. Drava Corp was about the Military Selective Service Act and how some companies are able to get around it by using their bargaining agreements. So now my first guest of the series will be coming on and I'll be asking him a few questions about it. This guest of mine happens to be a military service member and so I had a few questions about what he thought about this case and how he thinks it could affect other things. So, hi, welcome to my podcast. Hi. <laughs> um, I wanted to go ahead and start off with one question for you, my first one, um, which I'm sure you know several veterans. I do. Do you believe that the Military Selective Service Act and all of its statutes are something service members are made aware of before they retire? And if not, do you believe they should be made aware of the act and everything it has? 
Well, I don't know 100% if they're all made aware before they retire. I know they're not made aware whenever they join, because I was not made aware of that whenever I was joined. Um, should they be aware? Absolutely. I mean, everyone should know every benefit of joining, not only before, but before, like, not only before you join, but before you depart, especially if you've done a full 20, a full service enlistment that gets you all the benefits, you should know what it is you're entitled to. I mean, you you slaved away for for the government for 20 years. You should know what you're getting, you know? So you brought up a very interesting point that you weren't made aware of the Military Selective Service Act and its provisions when you joined. Do you think that's something you should be made aware of when you join? Would it be helpful for you if you did get in? Probably not. I mean, making everyone aware whenever you join most people don't serve a full 20. Most people do four, six, eight, and then get out. And that's perfectly fine. You serve your country regardless. So that's, you know, you're doing what you got to do. But I feel like after a certain amount of time, before retiring, letting having some sort of briefing, a class, after you hit a certain mark, and if you're asked, hey, are you doing the full 20? And if you are, we need you to take this class. This class tells you, all the benefits you get, if you did this amount of years, you get this amount. If you get this amount of disability, you get this amount of money. Because I know both of my parents being about to be veterans. My mom has 100% disability. My dad is soon to have 100% disability, which my dad didn't know about uh, telling the doctor everything that's wrong with you for disability until 11 years in. And, you know, it was, don't get me wrong, he still gets the disability, but it was harder for him to work it up and he didn't get there till much later luckily for me having said military parents I know as much as I can while go before I even got in but the cool thing about the military is that it's ever evolving everything's always changing adapt overcome that's you know that's what we do um, but it adapting to the world around us as fast as possible we're both the best and the worst at it because when need be we can adapt like that change whatever we need to change in the military to make things work but at the same time there's still a lot of rules that still make no sense to this day and they have nothing to do with modern day technology modern day civilization um, a lot of the stuff today is just because some old man in you know in power said so forever ago and we're keeping it that way just because we said so and don't get me wrong that's always the mindset of the military but yeah okay so I had noticed something while briefing this case it said that Mr. Foster had left for an 18th month 18 month long service so in my research it didn't explicitly specify whether or not mr foster was a reservist or he was in active duty um it was under my assumption that because he does have a job a civilian sector job that he was a reservist and so 18 months that's about a year year and four months year and six months you know around there 
So I wanted to know from you, if you see cases like this one, differing from active duty service members to reservist service members, and would you say a reservist service member experiences the struggle of this case more often than an active duty service member would, only given that during a reservist career, they're also pursuing a civilian job, whereas active duty, you have more security in the military. You don't really need civilian life. Well, my guess would be also that he is a reservist because a year and a half, that's most likely just a deployment, depending on what his job was. Um, but I mean, active duty, I don't think they're going to deal with it as much just because most people that go active duty learn the most because they're there the longest. Reservists, depending on where you're at here in Texas, reservists go weekends, and that's basically it. Again, depending on your job. Um, but I, I think reservists probably, unless they're older and wiser and just happen to learn more, I feel like an 18-year-old joining active duty will learn more in the long run than a, you know, 35-year-old joining the reserves. Just because, again, they're going to be doing their job with other older military members every single day. It's not, for most, for the most part, it's not just a 9-to-5, you know, Monday through Friday. My job specifically is 24-7. I am on call no matter what. I have to be close to the base and close to the airline, the flight line, no matter where I'm at. So, yeah. So, with that being said, um, you said that active duty service members are there the most. Um, you're sharing, right, that active duty service members, that's their only job. For the most part, yes, because there are a lot of active duty members that have a civilian job, but it's just not as common as a reservist, because as a reservist, you kind of need a you know, civilian job, unless you're a doctor joining as something medical, something higher up that will already make you a lot of money. As someone who's just joining, like the other people joining reserve as an airman basic or anything under a technical sergeant, you're not making a whole lot of money. I mean, the military, you really don't make money. You have to want to be in the military to first start. In the long run, sure, you make money. You learn how to save, you learn how to do all that. But reservists and active duty, like it just it doesn't make sense to get a job while you're in active duty unless you have a big debt to pay. So my last follow-up question before we wrap this up. During our first question, you had brought up how a lot of the rules of the military were made up a really, really long time ago. This act is one of those things that was made up a while ago, maybe not as long ago as some other things, but do you think that the provisions of the Military Selective Service Act is important for its function, or do you believe that there could be other ways of mitigating this? I guess a way to put it differently, do you believe the government needed to step in with this act? on behalf of military service members when it comes to the civilian sector? Yes and no. I mean, yes, it's good that they did step in. It's just very uncommon that they were going to step in because there's a lot of service members that just get screwed and it's kind of like, well, you should have learned about it. Well, nobody taught me. That's a you problem. Sorry. 
go figure it out. Um, it's... I, I do think that it's a good thing that they have it, because especially for like reservists who have their civilian job, who need that civilian job to make a living, um, you know, they need to be able to stay in that company and get the same benefits for serving their country. Like, they weren't just going on vacation and left with no reason. They left for a very good reason, to support their country. The country that, in most military members' opinions, wouldn't be here if it weren't for the service members. Okay, well, thank you so much for that very interesting Q&A about this case. Um, unfortunately, I will not be having this guest on again. Um, due to their military service, they have, you know, bigger country duties to do. However, duties. it has been lovely having you here, and hopefully we'll see you back when you get back to the States. Yes, thank you for having me. Okay, guys, so that's the end of this podcast episode. We briefed Foster v. Javo Corp. 420 U.S. 92 of 1975. Um, I will be linking where I made my discoveries for this case, as well as if you guys know any military law-based cases or cases that pertain to the military that you think would be interesting to include maybe in this series or a future military law series, go ahead and drop it in the comments below. And I look forward to sharing more series episodes with you along with more special guests. So I will see you all later. Bye.